0: and welcome to another episode of Ottoman History Podcast. I'm Zoe Griffith. Today we're very happy to welcome Melih Levy, the co-translator of the 19th century Ottoman novel entitled Fela Tunbe and Rokim Efendi. Melih recently received his B.A. in English Literature from Amherst College and is due to begin a Ph.D. in Comparative Literature at Stanford. Uh, Melih, thanks so much for being here.
1: Thank you for inviting me.
0: So, Melih, you and your co-translator, Professor Monica Ringer, have taken on the really remarkable task of translating one of the earliest examples of the Ottoman novel. Uh, the translation was recently published by Syracuse University Press, and the novel, as I mentioned, it's uh, entitled Felatun Bey Efendi, and it was written in 1875 mm-hmm. by the important Ottoman reformist and literary figure Ahmed Midhat Efendi. Uh, I thought we could start out by just situating the novel within the literary field. What would... Ahmed Midhat Efendi. Been reading. Who was he speaking to? What was going on in Ottoman literature around this time?
1: This the, this novel um, came out in the Tanzimat era, which is a time of reformation for the Ottoman Empire, and um, it's also it's not only a time for reformation in the social or the cultural and political spectrum, but also um, in the literary scene. Right. So mm-hmm. the Turkish literati at the time are bringing lots of new forms from um, European literature into the you know Ottoman context, and they're experimenting with different poetic forms, different literary forms and obviously the novel as you know the epitome of the western um, canon um, you know makes its way into the ottoman literature as well and um the one of the first translations of um european novels french novels into the turkish scene happens i think around 1862 Mm -hmm. um and this is fenelon's telemak and uh, lots of other novels um or plays from french have been translated at the time as well and um I think in 1870 or 1872, the first novel in Turkish appears. And Ahmet Mitat, uh, Ahmet Mitat, and Rakum Efendi uh, follows right after in 1875. Mm-hmm. And this is a very famous novel. Uh, it's been taught in Turkish high schools for many years. Um, a lot of Turkish people will you know, know it or have read it. And it's a novel that deals with some of the... Um, famous um, concepts, right? That, you know, the, that the, the, the authors or translators at the time would worry about, about the changing social scene mm-hmm. of the Ottoman Empire, about the, the scope of westernization that's happening. Um, the two different character types that emerges, the Ar- Ar- Turka and the Ar- Franka character um, namely Rakim Efendi and Ferhatun Bey, um, would be archetypal characters for the Ottoman novel at the time. As the Turkish society and as the Turkish um, intellectuals are grappling with these um, different um, forms of uh, modernization that are happening in the empire, um, and um, the question of how much of the, the, tra- the traditions, the Islamic and the Turkish Ottoman traditions do we preserve, mm. how much of the West do we embrace, and how much of the public and private life Changes to resemble the kind of the Western um, is a question that a lot of the intellectuals at the time are, are occupied with, right? So Ahmed Mitat also writes about this very question of you know how how do we modernize? you know what does it mean to Westernize, what is the difference between adopting the Western um, traditions and culture and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and adapting it right into the into the Ottoman context.
0: And I mean, are there elements of of the writing style do you think that either, I don't know harken back to earlier elements from Ottoman literature, from an Ottoman tradition or is this really something new? Or both?
1: (laughs) Well, this this is the interesting thing about um, the early novel in the Ottoman Empire in that it's not necessarily as mature as you would see maybe say in Tom time 30 or 40 years later it's still experimenting and it's still trying to to decide um, what parts of the Western novel it should bring it into the Turkish context Mm -hmm. so just as the characters themselves are grappling with this question of you know how much western and how much eastern do we or or Ottoman and Turkish how much of the west do we adopt um the same question appears in the literary form as well right so how much of the novel do we bring into the Turkish context and how do we merge it with the already existing literary traditions that we have in the Ottoman context so Mm -hmm. Um, Jaale Parla, who is a scholar of Turkish literature, writes about this in talking about Ahmet Mithat and sees symptoms of many different Turkish literary forms in, in, in these early novels, um, all the way from um, Orta Oyna, uh, which is a, an Ottoman form of improvisation mm-hmm. um, that would happen in the, kind of the open markets. Um, Karagöz and Hajivat, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. like shadow plays, um, so the dialogues that you would see in these novels, the colloquial style, mm. the down-to-earth kind of tone, I think are all inherited in a way from um, the Turkish literary forms or Turkish theatrical forms. Um, whereas the character development, the plot development, they're a little more, more like imitations of Western parodies or Western novels. So yeah, um, mm. but you could see in, in novels like this that they don't have the depth of, you know the. the the depth of, say, um, a 19th century French or English novel in terms of characterization and mm-hmm. psychological portrayals of the characters, it's a little more simpler mm-hmm. and it's a little more didactic um, mm-hmm. because it's the first time that the novel is going to be introduced to the pur- Turkish public and, um, and so, you know, it's not as as, as well-formed or um, mature, mm-hmm. I would say.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, who do you think or who, do we know who Ahmed Midhat was writing for at this time?
1: So um, Ahmed Mitat himself um, talks about, you know, when they ask him, you know, which one of your novels would you consider to be literary, he says none of them, right? Hmm. You know, because he considers himself to be a teacher of, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. of uh, a teacher and a, an instructor, right? So you can see that he's also writing like a teacher, almost, mm-hmm. you know, um, holding the reader's hand and putting words into their mouth, making them ask the right questions in his own way. But I also have to differentiate Amit Mitad from other writers in the Tanzimat era. Mm-hmm. Other writers like Naamu uh, Kemal or um, Rejaizade Mahmud Ekrem who uh, come from a different kind of background. Um, Amit Mitad comes from a more modest background and um, I would say he's a little less interested in the literary aspect. Right? He's a little less interested. He's he's not much of a stylist mm-hmm. as Naamu Kemal is or as Rejaizade Mahmud Ekrem is. He's more of a... a a, a didactic kind of writer, um, and so the novel reads more like a syllabus um, or like a manual uh, for a readership at the time. When you when you look at Namik Kemal's work or Rejaizade Mahmoud Akram, um, they're more interested in uh, creating a rhetoric um, or creating different hybrid forms, uh, poetic forms, mm-hmm. that would be able to accommodate some of the the adaptations that they want to bring about f- of the you know for instance of notions of nationalism, right? So. How do we think about a new form of Turkish nationalism and find a new rhetoric for it in poetry? And so that requires kind of, you know, leveling with, you know, the already existing literary forms and literary traditions that you adopt from um, the French or the West. Um, and also how do you kind of merge them with already existing Ottoman forms? Ahmet mm-hmm. Mithat I think, is less interested in that. Um, he just dies right in mm-hmm. and... Um, He's more interested in fashioning a different voice rather than a style. I think you know, kind of, um, how do I relate to the readers and how do I um, kind of catch their attention and how do I make them ask the right questions and mm-hmm. be like Rakim Effendi almost, mm-hmm. uh, want to be like Rakim Effendi. Mm-hmm. So he's m- more interested in the the moralist aspect of things, I think, than than a style a stylist. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and since you have presented us here with this question of to be like Rakim Effendi, what does that mean?
1: So, um, as you know, the novel is about these two characters, right? The two protagonists, Felatun Bey and Rakum Efendi. For the listeners of the podcast who might not know what the terms "aleturk" and Alafranga mean, these these terms are very popular at mm-hmm. the time, mm-hmm. and um, they'll be very important for the Turkish novel mm-hmm. that you know um, and the development of the Turkish novel because these terms depict the two characters, right? The two archetypal characters that emerged in the Ottoman Empire at the time. I think saying. It emerged at this at this time would be a little mistaken because um, the the westernization and reform in Ottoman Empire goes way back. But um, Avner Vishnetzer um, argues that what is different about this period um, and the, about the reform in this period is that people are more concerned with the scope of westernization, the scope of modernization than modernization and westernization itself. So, how much of the West do we bring in mm-hmm, and bring mm-hmm. into our culture? How much do we change and how much do we preserve um, those questions become very popular and the two archetypal characters Felatun is the Alafranga character kind of copies almost emulates and you know imitates the French and the West he tries to speak like them he tries to dress like them um, he moves to the Bayolo neighborhood because um, it's you know fashionable and that's where the Western lifestyle exists and um, and you know he he dates a, an actress uh an actress who ends up take, taking all of his money and you know all of these kind of the French uh, actor the French actress yeah. right paulini um, whereas Rakim is the aturki character, which doesn't mean he is rooted in the Turkish and traditional culture, but he is he's being a little more um careful and um, calculating when mm-hmm. he when he adopts or adapts his his own culture into the you know into the western and French culture so you know he doesn't he's He's bringing in, he's changing some parts of his um, lifestyle, right? Mm-hmm. He's bringing in the French and Western lifestyle a little more selectively, mm-hmm. let's say. So he doesn't give up everything Turkish, he doesn't give up everything Ottoman, Right. but he doesn't um, adopt everything as well, right? So um, he has a piano in his house, he decorates his house in a more kind of Western way, he allows Canaan to take piano lessons, and he spends a lot of time in the Western districts of, you know, the, the districts of Istanbul that were more right. populated by, um, you know, people from France and England. He teaches an English family. He's, most of his close friends are um, from Europe. Right. Um, so he doesn't necessarily turn his back on Europe, or, um, but he is very selective in how he chooses certain things from from, from the West, Um but he still preserves some of his more traditional and Ottoman ways, right? So um, he's very modest. Um, he doesn't. He's not a spendthrift, which is not to say Europeans are spendthrifts. But you know that's that's the kind of common discourse at the time in the social, you know, the social discourse at the time when it comes to depicting the the the, the West and the East, right? So some of the kind of stereotypes attached to these different different characters. Um, he's also. Um, he reinterprets the notion of family, right, yes. um, and what it means to have a social standing, right? That you don't necessarily need to know people um, in the, you know, in the upper parts of the social ladder. That you can make your way up um, by being diligent and by, you know, by working. Um, Rakum knows French. Rakum uh, teaches French. He reads in French, but he also um, reads Ottoman poetry. He reads um, hafiz. He teaches hafiz. So. You know, so he's embedded in the discourses of the, Ottoman, the, the the East as well. So I mean, when the novel endorses Rakim as a character that one should look up to, mm-hmm. um, I think that's what that's what Amit Mitad is saying, right? That you should um, be very kind of very careful in how you um, how you copy almost. Mm-hmm. I think in general, the attempt of um, Tanzimat era modernizers uh, to tiptoe between adopting uh, modified elements from Europe. Without, without losing their own cultural integrity, right? So um, to kind of explain new conceptions of freedom that you would see in the relationship between Rakum and Janan mm-hmm. um, and morality to their audience. Um, these books were written to educate, right? So mm-hmm. Amit Mithat is um, using Rakum as, as an example to show how one can evaluate, right? The different um, traditions and um you know um, rules and notions one inherits, mm-hmm. um, and the different kind of traditions one can uh, bring into his or her life, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. how do we balance that? How do we level that? And um, you know, that's the you know Felatun is a warning sign mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. that way, right? If you if you adopt too much of the Western culture without really questioning what you're adopting and without thinking about the consequences, you might end up like a Felatun Bey, right? You know he's He's suggesting that whereas Rakim um, has money, he saves money, and um, he has a happy marriage, um, and he's well respected in society because he sticks to some of his kind of modest and traditional, um, traditional ways.
0: And at the same time, though, it's not all of his behaviors are exactly what you would expect right. necessarily. So
1: yeah, so this is also interesting because um, we can see that Ahmed Mitat is um, creating a character that's not. Solely rooted in the Islamic or the Ottoman, Ottoman kind of the traditional Ottoman style. So, for instance, um, Rakim Efendi drinks rakı. He has a mistress. Um, I don't know. He dances polka. You know, he's a very modern kind of individual. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, when when it comes to marriage, he wants to make sure that both sides agree to it, right? Mm-hmm. And um, when there is a potential buyer for Janan, he Wants Janan to decide what she wants to do, mm-hmm. and he's willing to give up all the money. Right? He doesn't want to. Um, he doesn't want to be. Um, he he doesn't treat Janan almost like a slave. Um, that he wants their marriage to be uh, compassionate, mm-hmm. and um, and and it's a it's a thing that they both have to decide on. So those those things are showing the extent to which Ra- uh, Ahmed Mitatefendi is. Um, refashioning right mm-hmm. his 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 understanding of what uh, a modern individual at the time a modern citizen should look like mm-hmm. um and this is a you know at the time there's a social engineering project uh, with the new constitution and the reformation um so these books like manuals are also trying to engineer certain types in society that that you know um that can kind of look at all of these different parts of Um, the Eastern and Western traditions and to decide which ones are worth keeping and which ones are worth changing and tilting and informing.
0: I think the issue that you brought up a minute ago about notions of the family in that regard are extremely interesting because there are a significant number of women, female characters and kind of an array of female characters presented in the novel and uh, you know, we sort of have two archetypal male characters but a really diverse, I think view of of femininity, almost in this period. So, I wonder if we know much about where Ahmed Mitat was coming from in his attitude towards women and gender relations.
1: I don't know if we can kind of read into the 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 women question as radically, right? Um, in this in this work by Ahmed Mithat there are other works where Ahmed Mitat explicitly mm. talks about marriage and um, what, what marriage should look like, what you know, both parts should play in a marriage. But this, I think, the most interesting thing in this book is um, when it comes to the relationship with Jana and, and Rakim. Mm-hmm. Um because the other relationships, um, like the one between Felaton and Paulini is um, is a kind of passing relationship mm-hmm. almost. Mm-hmm. Um, they they are together for a while, and Polini, we learn later on that you know he just she just wanted to take away all his money, and the relationship between Rockham um, and Josephine, right, the French, um, the piano tutor. The um, is also um, a, a fling almost, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. The, between the two. But the most striking relationship in the book is between Rakam and Janan And um, Holly Shishler, who wrote the introduction to the book, um, talks about this in great detail um, when she says when Janan and Rakum do become sexually involved, Ahmet Mitad has made it very clear that theirs is a real choice based on real affection. Right. Um, and other options having been considered and rejected, right? So that the book makes it clear that that the institution of marriage should be um, should be a bilateral thing. The, the interesting thing I think is is that it's not, you know, it's not a it's it's in certain ways it's radical, right? So you know, the, when it comes to the institution of marriage and the way um, Amit Mitad represents it as something that. Uh, is a bilateral bond between the between the two persons mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but there are also ways in which amit mitat sticks to a more traditionalist and uh, like um, more religious view of mm-hmm. um, how the relationship between men and women should be like right mm-hmm. so for instance um, when Janan wants to um, take piano lessons um rakam doesn't let her go out by herself mm-hmm. right um she should have some kind of supervision the nanny should be, be with her and Rakum makes it sound like he's not worried about Janan but worried about other people. But, you know, I mean, when you think about it, it's not, you know... Um, so, I mean, it's not a very radical reading of the women question at the time, but um, but if you look at the, the way in which Rakim educates Janan and and kind of makes the relationship more liberal, let's mm-hmm, say, mm-hmm. Is, is not very different from um, his relationship with the British family at the time, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. So the British girls themselves um, are receiving a very similar education. And at times we're made to believe that Janan's education kind of um, is far better than mm-hmm. than those of the British girls. Um, but certainly there's a difference in, in this kind of the lifestyle, right? Because the British girls can go to salons and they can dress up, they can you know uh, mix in with other people, whereas Janan is, I think, a little more um, kind of... She's not as she cannot be as outgoing as as, as British girls are.
0: I think one thing that readers will also really appreciate about the story, readers especially who have spent time in Istanbul and are familiar with the city, I mean, the sense of place when you're reading is very its very present, and the names of the streets, the names of the neighborhoods uh, will be so familiar to to readers who have spent time in Istanbul. And I think that, uh, I don't know, I mean, as a native of 21st century Istanbul, like, are there things about the novel that, kind of surprise you or is it really a familiar setting as well?
1: It's very interesting um, to read this novel and be in Istanbul because most of the streets have the same names today and um, if you're in the Taksim and Beyoğlu area you can easily kind of trace um, the different walks Rakim takes to go up to Beyoğlu mm-hmm. to teach the English mm-hmm. girls and to go back home mm-hmm. um, and to me this is very interesting because I'm very much interested in the concept of walking mm. in, in 19th century and 20th century literature and I always think about Rako Efendi is like a modern flaneur almost mm, right mm-hmm. a modern stroller of the streets um and um he's you know he takes many different routes to go up to to Beolu, to go down to Salipazare and to Topane um and it's interesting that we get all of the details there is very specific details about the streets he walks on the different you know routes he takes um, and these are usually associated with his um, psychological state at the time, right? Mm. If he feels like he wants to take a little more walk, if he's confused, he might walk longer, and he might, you know, wander into different streets. If he wants to go back home directly, he can use a shortcut. We get all of these details, and it's also interesting um, to think about the division of space at the time, because Bayoula, Taxim; those areas would be where um, people from Europe would be living, Um you know, theaters, Armenian, own, theaters owned by Armenians, um, presses, um, you know, um, different restaurants. So, you know, this part would be more Western, uh, more Adafranga in that way, whereas uh, where Rakim Efendi is living is more Um, mm-hmm. um The other character, Feral uh makes a move to Beyolu because he wants to be in the More Adafranga district, mm-hmm. right? So he sells his house and he builds a new European-style house in this area, Um So that, you know, um, he can be here in in the center of, in the heart of, um, in the heart of Beyolu. And so, to me, it's interesting to compare Rakum Efendi or, you know, other characters in these kinds of works like Bihruz Bey um, or Ali Bey, who are similar characters. Um, These characters are more similar to Felatun Bey, but they all navigate Istanbul in different ways. Mm. Um, And their experience of the city differs, right? So in this novel for instance, in Feratumbe and Rakum Effendi, we can talk about the different outings that these characters take. Mm-hmm. Um Rakum Efendi um goes to Ke- Keatane uh, with with his nanny and Janan and Josephine, right? Um and they don't want other people to be there when they take the outing. It's a very modest one. They mm-hmm. make a little picnic and they you know they play a little and then they sleep a little and then they drink some milk on the way and then they go back. Whereas the outing Bey has with Polina is very different, right? They have these couches and everybody's watching them. It's a, it's a big show, right? So, you know, um, you can see that the cityscape is very important in the novel and where they spend time, um, who they interact with, all of these things are very important. And I think um, it's interesting to compare this to how Istanbul or the kind of idle stroller in Istanbul um, becomes a figure in modernist mm-hmm. literature, right? So when you look at, for instance, Yusuf Atılgan his Aylak uh, Adam, which translates roughly as the, the vagabond, um, um, or even in Orhan Pamuk's novels mm-hmm. today, right, in Yeni Hayat, for instance, The mm-hmm. New Life, um, these characters strolling the streets of Istanbul, walking around, and, um, you know, the the different parts of the city speak to different um, psychological undercurrents. Um, and um, for Rakım, I think this is very important, that he... Um, you know, he spends time in these different districts, um, interacting with different people. Mm-hmm. Um, because Rakum Efendi himself comes from very modest means, yeah. right? So he spends time in the bazaar. Um, whereas Felatun Bey wouldn't even, you know, consider going to those to those areas. Um, so I think it's also important to, to make a distinction between the way this question of East and West and how it plays out in when we talk about geography, right? Mm-hmm. Um, comes into play when we look at the Turkish literary tradition. Um, because in we said that in Ahmet Mitat's novel, the problem is not so much about um, adoption, but it's about the scope of it, right? Mm-hmm. How much do we adopt from the West? Um, but when we look at modernist Turkish literature, uh, we don't necessarily get a fully drawn character. Mm. Like in Yusuf Atulgan's work, you wouldn't get a character like Rakum Efendi, whose um, ways and being is clearly described and it's presented to the reader in a very kind of digestible way. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in in Yusuf Atulgan's works, um, we see a character that needs to be pieced together by the, by the readers themselves, mm-hmm. right? That um, it's not as didactic and it's not as moralizing, but um, the city itself becomes a, a, a part of the puzzle, mm-hmm. almost, right? That the reader has to kind of um identify or investigate different experiences that these characters will have in different parts of the city and to to decide which parts of the character's psyche that they that they bring bring out or that they kind of they suppress. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas when you look at maybe modern Turkish literature, you know, more postmodernist takes on Istanbul and geography, you um, know, Pamuk's works for instance, it's not so much about piecing together anymore, but it's about um what is at stake when we piece together those different Um, parts of Istanbul when we piece together those different districts in Istanbul and the way the characters relate to them so um, you know what does it mean to to locate a question like the east and west right in a in a literary work what are we doing as readers if we are um, noticing some things like that um, in a work what are we kind of suggesting about the work itself. So it's not so much about how the work itself presents us, mm-hmm. presents itself to us as a puzzle, but it's about how, um, as readers, we, um, we engage with those different hints, right? What do we perceive as Eastern? What do we perceive as Western? And if we are indeed um, locating some dichotomies like that, are we maybe fetishizing um, this very question of East and West, right? Mm-hmm. This very question of the juxtaposition or the distinction between the two. Um, or are we creating that, that question ourselves, right? What is our role as readers in in um, in relating to different parts of Istanbul? So it's not as um, it's not as systematically um, divided that you would you know as you would see in, in Tanzimat novels in, in modern Turkish fiction. But you know it's a little more um, I think obscure mm-hmm. um, when it comes to the distribution of space in the novel.
0: I mean, I think this is a good time to to talk about the process of the translation. How how did it come about um, that this seems like the opportune time to translate this this novel? And, and and what were the particular challenges, I guess, of of translating a sort of early work of Ottoman novel writing?
1: We uh, when I started at Amherst College, um, Monica and I uh, were doing some readings in my freshman year. We were doing some readings around Turkish literature, early Turkish novels, plays because she was going to teach a course on Turkey mm-hmm. um, in the next year. And um, we were reading some books um, from Reja Aizade, Mahmud Ekrem, from uh, Ahmet Mithat. And um, we realized when we were reading and reading into these works that none of them had been translated hmm. into English. Uh, on, there is only a play uh, by Shinasi, The Marriage of the Poet, mm-hmm. that's available in English translation, but none of the early Turkish novels have been translated. And so you know, we thought that this is a very seminal work when it comes to thinking about the Turkish society at the time, the mm, Ottoman mm-hmm. society, Ottoman sociology, um, and Ottoman reform, mm-hmm. uh, it's a really interesting window into the um, societal structure during the Tanzimat era. Um, and so, we thought that it would fit really nicely into the the course. Yeah. Um, so, we did a very preliminary translation of the novel for the for the course itself, and we we found that the reaction from the students was very, um, very, very exciting because they they thought that. The novel itself and its its rhetorical devices, the way um, it kind of reinterprets the novel for the Turkish Ottoman context. Mm -hmm. These were all um, these these were all ways of understanding um, the 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 questions that were being asked during the reform, the Ottoman reform. So um, not only you know the the story itself is is on the more basic side, um, but it you know it presents some really grappling questions and concepts about modernization, westernization, and the scope of you know. Modernization, so all of those were playing out very nicely. So we thought, ta- you know, we would kind of turn it into a larger project, mm-hmm. and it took us four years almost to to go through the whole thing mm-hmm. and to um, to make sure that we get the tone right. Um, and as you know, the, the novel is written in Arabic script, um, so um, we worked with different editions of the novel. Um, we had the original Ottoman publication of it, um, and we also consulted some transliterations because. There are a number of mistakes mm. um, that Ahmed Mitat makes when he's writing, um, some strange grammatical structures because he was writing very fast. Mm. Um, and so, um, you know, one of the questions was how do you um, translate certain grammatical mistakes or certain, um, you know, problems with sentence structure um, because the sentences are also very long in the original. Um, we tried to stick to the original kind of style as much as we could but it's also at some points we had to shorten some sentences to make them more digestible to a modern reader. we tried to use Victorian kind of vocabulary as much as possible and to me one of the most interesting parts of translating the novel um, was looking at some of its contemporaries in the British and French Uh context at the time Um, and this colloquial authorial kind of style of speaking to the readers, right? Mm-hmm. Asking them questions. You know, the novel itself opens up with a question, do you remember Ferdinand Bey, right? You should be remembering him. So, you know, the author is constantly talking with you and engaging with you, and that's not, you know, something new in, 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 the, in the novel, right? So if you look at um, 19th century English novels, um, novels by Daniel Defoe, Fielding, Walter Scott, um, they always engage with their readers and talk with them and engage with them. So how did they do it? What was the language like? Um, how did they refer to their readers? I think that was a great example to look at uh, while translating the novel into English mm-hmm. and to think about what the language would have been like if the novel was written in an English-speaking um, environment. Mm-hmm. So that was that was another fun aspect of kind of comparing and contrasting the authorial voice in, yeah. in these different contexts.
0: Were there specific concepts or terms or constructions or something that gave that you were stuck on for a long time or? so
1: terms especially related to morality and independence um were very difficult to translate because there are so many different words available in english for those um such as um for instance when um amit mita talks about janan and talks about um her independence mm. um mm. you know some of the words in turkish could have been translated in different ways um So, questions related to morality and independence were, I think, difficult to translate. Also, the the novel has a very colloquial style, Mm -hmm. right? So, um, lots of idioms from Turkish, um, you know, lots of colloquial phrases. Those are difficult to render into the English as well. And... um, we had to make a lot of decisions about uh, some of the historical, you know, some of the historical information in the book. So mm. we, we didn't use any footnotes. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like using a lot of footnotes myself, unless it's a very academic translation, uh, because I think it interrupts the experience. Um, so we tried to kind of feed a lot of the information, historical information that the readers would need to know to make sense of things into the novel, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. for instance, um, in the novel, um, in most of the novels written at the time, um, they use the Alaturka time, right? So, um, this, you know, the, the, when they say four o'clock or five o'clock, it's not the same in the Western time frame, because um, it's pegged on the position of the sun, right? So it's it depends on the the time of the call to prayer, and and so um, we had to kind of adjust those into the, you know, sometimes we came up with times that made sense, or sometimes we would say later in the afternoon, mm-hmm. early in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if they were going out for an outing, we would say early in the morning they woke up and and they prepared their bags and stuff. So. Um that was the the time the, you know the timing the vocabulary about time was a problem One of the interesting questions when you're translating a book from the Tanzimat era is how to render the different phrases in French um because although the the, the, the texts are in original Ottoman script um we we often encounter French phrases right when Felatun speaks in French when Rakim speaks in French with um Josephine um we see that you know they the 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 latin script appears in the text so how do we encan- you know render it into the english version um we decided to italicize them to kind of um to show the readers that there's a different different thing going on in the text and you know um sometimes in the original they Amit Mithat will give us in parentheses a translation if it's a long sentence in french but often um he'll just leave it in french so if it's madame or uh, bonjour, you know things like that. you know common phrases in French, I think Ahmed Mitad assumes that readers will be familiar with them anyway um but, but this
0: would have been an Ottoman script that he was writing sometimes movies. an Ottoman okay. script
1: if it 's transliterated into the ottoman um for instance um, um when Ahmed Mitad you know when a character is speaking and using a French phrase within a Turkish sentence, mm-hmm. right? So when when the character says, for instance, oh, look at all of these um, ceremonies and um, fashions, right? So those ceremonies and fashions, those words are kind of rendered into colloquial Ottoman mm. almost, right, yeah. you know? Um, but mostly when they're speaking French, the the text will be in Latin script. Okay. Um, and the, the readers of the book can see it in the, uh, in the book, we have some samples, sample pages from the original Ottoman. And, you you know, they can see how the, the Latin phrases, how the French phrases appeared in the Arabic script. Mm-hmm. Um, so another challenge while translating was um, the Persian poetry. Mm-hmm. Um, because we we kind of consulted some of um, Hafez's English collections um, to see, you know, if we can find some you know, faithful translations that we could use for the book, but most of the poems were not available in any Hafiz collection, and so we consulted with Franklin Nubis from Chicago, who um, was generous enough to accept to do the translations, and um, he found out that most of the, um, or at least some of the gazelles that are attributed to Hafiz were wrongly attributed to him, and they most probably appeared in popular editions of Hafez in the Ottoman Empire. Um, poems that look like, you know, um, Hafez poems You know, probably were wrongly attributed to, to Hafez. So that was another challenge. And having talked about the Hafez poems, I think this is an interesting plot in the in, interesting um, storyline in the novel where um, Rakhim keeps teaching the girls these these Sufi poems, right, written by Hafez. And um, a lot of the critics look at this novel as... Um, a one-way kind of one-way perspective into the the Ottoman context at the time, right? So, how do we take from the West, or how do we preserve the the, the traditional ways? Um, I I don't think it's only that, and I think um, this is a moment in which we can see Rakim as um, as a character with some flaws, right? You know, uh, unlike a lot of critics who think of Rakim as a flawless, idealized character, I think Ahmed Mitat, you know, presents some flaws on on behalf of. Rakum sometimes in a very playful way, right? For instance, when Rakum is on the, Rakum is with the British girls and they're rowing. Um, Rakum is kind of leaning against the British girls, and he gets some kind of satisfaction from doing that. And and the author Ahmed Mitad excuses him for it, right? He says, "Well, nobody said that Rakum was an ideal character, right?" So he defends his characterization of Rakum, but that's only that's a very playful kind of criticism of Rackham almost right it's not necess- it's not necessarily criticism either but here I think in this in this you know his relationship with the British girls Margaret and John uh, Margaret and John sorry um, there is something interesting uh, and I think um, it's a commentary on how the Ottomans um, should be or could be presenting their culture um, to the to the West right so um Rakum keeps teaching the British girls Hafiz poetry, Sufi poetry, and um, he, Ahmed Mitad makes it clear that um, they don't explicitly like some of the verses, right? And they want to skip them. They don't want to write them. They want to memorize them. They want to get the ugly stuff, right? The dirty stuff. So they want to get the amorous stuff with, you know, um, amorous metaphors uh, about fire and lips and wine. Um, and they memorize them, and Rakum sees that they are getting affected by it, right They are um reading them and memorizing them all the time they're talking about love all the time, and that 's a warning signal for Rakum, but he doesn 't necessarily dwell on it, and he keeps teaching them he keeps serving them the poetry the way they want to learn it um without necessarily laying down the groundwork for how to interpret Sufi poetry, right, how to look at some of the um this the common symbols or common images that we encounter in Sufi poetry that you know the images of love or metaphors about love that are presented in this poetry are not necessarily about physical um intimacy but also about a divine kind of love, right? And um Rakham doesn't necessarily think about that and at the end um John ends up on the sickbed right? Because um and she's about to die because she's in love with Rakham um and you know, I think Ahmed um, Mitad makes us feel that Rakum was wrong here, that he didn't put the distance between himself and the girls um as much as he needed to, and he kind of um fed them with you know, I don't want to say wrong information, but he you know, he offered the information in a incomplete manner mm-hmm. to, to these um uh, to these students. And um and he regrets it after afterwards he um, he almost gets sick himself thinking about what he did to the British girls but um, that's a, another part of the story I think that lets us look at this question of inheritance from an alternate point of view right how do we present our culture to the other and uh, what happens if we present it and if we let it be fetishized or if we let it be uh, consumed in certain ways that, that fit the other person's needs and not necessarily teach them the the kind of the appropriate the, 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 the teach them the you know, in a more critical and comprehensive manner. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I mean there's those, a se- there's a selective manner in which Rackham chooses to teach poetry. The half his poetry to the English girls, just like Pelaton selectively chooses some parts of the French culture mm-hmm. to um, you know, so, you know, so without necessarily kind of cultivating himself and without necessarily approaching it from a critical standpoint. Right?
0: Mm-hmm. And do you think though that there's any there's not a strong vein of critique of the West. I mean, the Western characters are quite sympathetic, I would say. I mean, nuanced and sort of multi-dimensional characters and there's no sort of demonization of the English family or Josephine or even though they they have this lifestyle that is quite separate from Ruckham's lifestyle. But, uh, I mean, the example of when the English family, they come over for a dinner at Ruckham's house is a kind of similar... I mean, it's a bit uh, cherry-picking of what they want. From. Exactly. Yeah.
1: It's interesting because on some levels, I think Ahmet Mitad is being very careful about how he depicts the Western characters in the novel, European characters. Um, so, for instance, when Josephine visits Rakum and drinks Raku with him, he, she, sorry, she um, praises the Turkish culture, Raku and the way, you know... Um, Turkish people live, they wake up early in the morning and they can go on an outing and enjoy the sun, whereas she says Europeans don't do that. I mean, um, at those moments, Rakim would usually interfere and say, well, you're ignoring some of the stuff that are good about Mm, the West as mm -hmm. well. So, you know, there is that Mm -hmm. control mechanism in the novel that he doesn't want to go too far with the critic of the West. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the same time, when we look at the depiction of Polini as this French actress who is um, inevitably represented as a prostitute, um, that's also a little bit... That could be problematic as well to think mm. about how, you know, the the French actress, you know, image at the time was kind of directly correlated with that kind of, um, you know, someone, you know, that fed out in bay obviously ended up with a French actress right. and she, he obviously lost all of his money. And <laughs> obviously the French actress was going to do that. Right? So that kind of assumption, I think, li- lies behind that d- depiction, mm. uh, which is, I think, the other side of the coin, right? That... Um, that's a part where maybe Amit Mitad is getting a little critical of the, of of the West, mm-hmm. um, but I think, as you say, it's a little you know levelled and balanced when it when it looks at looks at the the Western characters and the European characters in the novel.
0: we talked a bit about kind of Ahmed Midhat in his day and what he might have been responding to and who he might've been speaking to. Um, So take us then to what happened after. I mean, is this a foundation for a clear strain of authors who came after and how does it sort of fit within Turkish literary tradition?
1: Um, This is, Ahmed Midhat is an interesting figure when we think about the Turkish um, literary context, because he's not he's not necessarily considered to be the father of the Turkish novel, although he was, I would say, the most prolific early mm. Turkish novelist. Um, I think a lot of people would consider maybe Tanpınar as the father of the Turkish novel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Tanpınar didn't necessarily like Ahmet um, Mitat's writing all that much because mm. he thought he was a moralizing and kind of a little simplistic kind of writer. Um, but at the same time, I think the kinds of, Themes that we encounter in early Turkish novel, this you know the divide between the East and the West, um, this question of Adatruka and Ada I think is a is a line of um, inquiry that a lot of authors will pick up in the future. Right. And even you know when we look at the modern Turkish novel, it's not explicitly there. It's not um, as it's not as apparent, but I think it's still there in terms of. How the authors relate to their readers, um, and how the, the, you know the way they want they try to fashion a certain readership in the in the modern context. I think has some uh, hints of of that um, of that divide as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Let me talk a little more in detail about this. When we look at Ahmed Mithat's novel, we see that um, there is a public and a private sphere, and they have very different treatments in the novel, right? Mm-hmm. So in the public sphere, I think Ahmed Mithat Efendi is very much for a more westernized attitude, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. So, um, you know, in terms of his relationships, his friends, Rakim, um, he plays the piano, he goes to salons and he goes on outings. Um, So he's not averse to a more western kind of... But when it comes to the private sphere, I think we see a little more of the, you know, traditional and Ottoman lifestyle. I think that divide slowly disappears as you move into modern Turkish literature where the public and the private um, are seen as directly related to each other, that they can't really be separated from each other as uh, Ahmet Mithat separates them. And, you know, it, it becomes a little more complicated uh, in Turkish modernism and Turkish postmodernism. However, it's also important to kind of understand how um, this line of juxtaposition, right? How, how this juxtaposition between the East and the West um, the kind of narrator that Ahmet Efendi, you know, coins in his work, uh, might reappear in in the later works of of Turkish literature. Mm-hmm. So when we look at modernist Turkish literature, so say in Yusuf Atulgan, um in his novel The vagabond, in Ozatai, um it's not so much anymore about um, how it's not so much about the scope of modernization, it's not so much about, um, you know, the question of do we become westernized or how much of the West do we adopt, but it becomes more of a question of um, how do we piece together different parts of a character's psyche so that they represent different understandings of these questions, they Mm -hmm. represent Mm -hmm. different responses to these questions, Mm -hmm. right? So um, when we look at, you know, Yusuf Atilgan's work, Leila Erbil's work, the question isn't answered per se. You know, the author isn't holding our hands anymore and, um, you know, conversing with us. But rather, than rather, instead of doing that, the author is um, giving us a puzzle almost, mm-hmm. right? You know, of the character and the way in which the character relates to different environments, relates to different um, geographical spaces, mm-hmm. um, different scenarios. And we as the readers are now supposed to piece them together um, to think about, you know um, how this question of East and West might, you know, might be located in different parts of the in different parts of the novel. It's not a it's not a an undercurrent anymore in the novel, right? Mm-hmm. It's a uh, it's it can be an image or a motif. Um, and in you know Orhan Pamuk, the question of the East and the West is still very much alive, right? Um, I think he considers himself to be a part of that tradition as well, um, and He's. I think his take on this question is a little more on the postmodern side where he questions the role of the reader in, in all of this, right? Mm-hmm. So if we are the ones piecing these, two, th- these different narratives together, these different parts of the puzzle, what is at stake in performing that kind of action as readers? Mm-hmm. And what kind of reader is being fashioned? And, you know, what are we assuming uh, about our role in reading? You know, that becomes, I think, more important than, um, let's say, the story itself. Um, often in Orhan Pamuk's works, we will encounter... A character who is um, uncomfortable with his writing um, in the new life, right? The act of writing itself is is a is a is a problem, right? You know, and so um, what does it mean to read? What does it mean to think about or locate these different um, these different concepts, right? You know, that juxtaposition. If you're if you're seeing a certain dichotomy between the East and the West when we are reading Orhan Pamuk. Um, even in his latest novel where we can see the two conflicting narratives, right? The Oedipus, the Oedipal narrative and um, a narrative from Sheikh Namin, mm. um that we might easily associate with the East and the West because of their origins. Um, but then again, the fact that we're doing that, the fact that we're assuming certain things about how, um, you know, the writer might be, you know, kind of, might be manipulating us to see certain narratives as belonging to certain traditions, um, we end up finding it necessary to question our own role as Mm -hmm. readers of these novels, right? So... um, you know, what does it mean if we are seeing a distinction between the East and the West, or if we are able to locate certain things or associate certain things with the East and the West, what does it mean that as readers we we do that, right? I mean, are we fetishizing certain things, or are we idealizing certain things about this plot, right? So I don't think the modern Turkish novelists are necessarily um, covering this Mm. question. They're not necessarily answering it um, as, you know, are we Eastern or Western, Although it's certainly a political question that's very much alive in Turkey today, I think in a social way, in a literary manner, the authors are more interested in what it means to be on the receiving end of these questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, what it means, what what does it mean that we are still asking these questions, and if we are, what kinds of readers are we? So I think that's that's the more contemporary take on that question and how it might have um, come into play mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. in the contemporary Turkish literary scene.
0: Uh, I mean, so you mentioned that this has been sort of a staple on Turkish high school syllabi for a long time, and I think uh, with the translation that you and Professor Ringer have done, it'll. I think it'll be a very valuable resource for um, at least college level, you know, teaching about the Ottoman Empire, teaching about the Tanzimat. It's a wonderful resource. The book is very funny. Uh, I mean, it's a really, it's an engaging read that also touches on all these kinds of. The historical identity issues that that we've been discussing. So I want to thank thank you and your co-translator. Uh, thank you very much for being here.
1: Thank you. For, thank you for having me here. I think it's a uh, it's a very important work um, for a variety of different you know uh, a variety of disciplines, right? So for Middle Eastern studies, Ottoman studies, Turkish studies, um, and not only for the for its time, right? Also, you know, I think the question is that. That these authors grapple with during the Tanzimat era, extend way into the future where, um, you know, when we talk about the 1920s, the foundation of the Turkish, you know, modern Turkish Republic, um, these questions are very much alive, right? So, or even today. Um, So for anyone interested in contemporary Turkey, um, you know, gender studies, um, Middle Eastern studies, I think this is a really interesting Work.
0: And uh, thank you all for joining us If you want to find out more uh, We have more materials available on the website At ottomanhistorypodcast.com uh, Thanks for joining us